Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Killer Bees Episode 10. We made it. For this big episode, we had to get the best guests that we could find. And for that occasion, in addition to Keelan Blue, we have Colleen Sullivan from Southside Sox fame and Tim Ryder, who is, um, you can follow him on Twitter at Tim R. Ryder. And or Timothy, our writer, and Tim, um, if you would like to do a little intro for us, that would be great. Um, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Keelan, Colleen, Tommy. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Tim Ryder. Um, on Twitter, it's Timothy R. Ryder. I uh, I run a site called The Apple, which is um, focused on the Mets. Uh, have a podcast called Simply Amazing. We come out twice a week. It's on Apple and Spotify and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we are here because for <laughs> those of you that don't know, there is, I think, perfect symmetry between White Sox fandom and Mets fandom. And we're going to see this through. Um, Keelan, I know you're feeling less like experienced <laughs> in, in all of this misery, but I assure you, you will catch on quickly. Great. Yeah, I'm just here to, um, well, I've been following Tim for a little bit just through other baseball folks um, on Twitter. And then I know Colleen and Tommy and a few other White Sox folks are also like big Mets fans. It's it's kind of good for them. And I'm a little jealous because when things are not going great with the White Sox, they can still kind of switch over to the Mets, even though 
I guess that's not always good. Could be double the misery <laughs> or more fun. There have been a couple times where I'm like, why did I? Ch- <laughs> it's not working out either way for me today. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm excited to learn today and I might ask you, I might have a few non sequiturs, but otherwise I'm here to learn. And, and Tim's awesome. So thank you, Tim, for joining us. And uh, oh, all three of you are awesome. <laughs> Just to kind of echo what you're saying, um, yeah, there's a lot of parallels between the two fan bases. I think the little brother syndrome, uh, which is very much alive in New York, I'm sure you guys feel that as well in Chicago. Um, you know, it's whether it's keeping up with each other, you know, I, I also like to spread out my fandom a little bit. I, I've been following the Sox for a few years. I have a bunch of really a few of my favorite active players are with the Sox now. And yeah, you kind of feel that kinship. For, for sure. Yeah, and the Sox and the Mets are really good at, like, swapping players with each other. Um, <laughs> because my intro to the Mets, obviously, as someone born and raised in Chicago, and especially somebody from, you know, as a kid in the 90s, we didn't have MLB TV and all this other stuff that we all the other access we have now. Um, but, like, my intro to the Mets was when Robin Ventura got traded to the Mets. And I think that's where a lot of White Sox fans really got into it was, oh, well, Robin Ventura was really popular and he was a lot of kids' favorite players. Then he went to the Mets and then they want to watch Robin Ventura. And it's like, oh, yeah, they have Mike Piazza, who's also awesome. And, you know, all of these other great players in the 90s and then the black uniforms and all of that stuff. So there was a lot of good synergy there. And now we get to watch James McCann as a Met instead of as a Sox. Um, the first big White Sox player I remember coming to New York wasn't even with the Mets. It was with the Yankees. It was Jack McDowell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is, um, yeah, he ended up flipping off Yankee Stadium on the way off the mound one night. And that, that like, stuck in my memory. I was probably, like, 10 or 11 years old. That's I remember that vividly, and I loved him so much more. Because, <laughs> like, I, Jack McDowell is one of my all-time favorites. And so when he went to the Yankees, I was absolutely heartbroken. But when he flipped off the crowd, I was like, okay, you're still, you're still my guy. I get it. And it was the I'm sorry. Like all you have is newspapers. So like the front page of the newspaper the next day was McDowell. I'm sorry. Exactly. It was just awesome. Uh, yeah. Also created a, a bit of a, a strike of fandom in me, in me too, I guess. Yeah. New York fans are tough too. Like I remember especially at the beginning of the season with Francisco Lindor not doing well, like the first 45 games or so him getting booed. And then James McCann was getting booed because he was also not hitting all that well. Um, And my husband, who my husband's a, he's a casual baseball fan, but he's a James McCann fan too. And he's like, why would they boo James McCann? I was like, dude, New York fans are tough. That is a tough crowd to I said, first to get a big contract like that, and second, to come in and have kind of a hitting slump that early in the season, I was like, that's not an easy, easy batch to be with. Oh, definitely not. And the Mets, you know, just like the White Sox, they were hit really hard by injuries. And a lot of guys, you know, the regulars who were left was like three guys. It was Dom Smith, Lindor, and James McCann. And they were right. tasked with you know, putting a lot on their shoulders. And I think since June 1st, James McCann's hitting something like 290. Like that's going to play. That's uh, he's been terrific. Um, the leadership qualities are there. Maybe the defense didn't come quite as advertised, but his game calling's terrific. Yeah, big. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he's been a really um, 
an integral part, I guess, getting this team over the hump. And, uh, you know, the White Sox probably been in the same boat. They've lost how many guys to injuries? You guys have your, yeah. your heavenly portraits going. It's very funny. <laughs> so we got to thank Keelan for those. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Keelan. I think, God, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's there's a like, full it's a full, yeah, it's a I mean, group in there. Yeah, it's been like <laughs> 15 guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I had to get a laugh out of, um, they were calling them the bench Mets. And I'm like, I think we need to adapt that to the White Sox because that's kind of where we were going to. It was a lot of bench Sox players. Oh, the bench mob, yes. The bench mob, yeah. I'm like, we kind of, we, we've got to adapt some of that going on because now we have a bunch of guys coming up. I mean, that's what a lot of people have been saying the Charlotte White Sox because I mean, <laughs> yeah. the roster is full of Charlotte Knights at this point. <laughs> yep. You guys got Eloy coming back. You have Luis Robert coming back. Um, Madrigal's done for the year, right? Yeah. 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 Which is tough. Yeah. That, and that's tough because, uh, last year, really early in the season, he went out with a separated shoulder and then he was out for the rest of the season. And then now he's out for the rest of the season again. And, you know, I don't think that helps the people who are not that into him, who are like, he's not, you know, his, he's not hitting home runs because he's, you know, five foot five or whatever (laughs) you know like him him being slight I don't want to call him injury plague but I think him having these big injuries so early in his career is not getting a lot of people on his side I guess is probably the best way to say it the only good thing is that for the most part they've all been like freak injuries it isn't (laughs) like compound injuries from previous issues or you know lack of training or anything like that it's been a lot of freak accidents but you know I think from a production standpoint none of the injuries have really concerned me that much up until Grandal got hurt like that's like the one position that I didn't think the Sox could afford to lose and I I don't know how long they can stay afloat like this just because it's not just the offense of him getting on base and hitting home runs. It's also what he brings to the table as far as game calling, really making sure that the pitchers have the right mindset and all of that. And that's where it's just like, you can't really replace that with just somebody from Charlotte, like we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Zach Collins, right? That's how, that's who they brought up. Zach Collins. And then. He's uh, been up. Yeah. Sorry, no, it's, he's Colleen's favorite. I forget about Zach Collins too. It's okay, um, but Sebi <laughs> Zavala, Sebi Zavala is who they called up from Charlotte, who's the better defensive catcher, um, probably the best one that the Sox have in the upper minors, but doesn't necessarily have the bat to match. So between the two of them, you have a whole player, but that doesn't always yeah. work out well. Can I ask you guys, how does Yasmani Grandal have a like a, a 190 batting average and like a 390 OBP? How does that are you my are you my mom? My mom asked me that same question. <laughs> it's very impressive. You don't see that either. He walks a lot. <laughs> he he's a terrific defensive catcher. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm like asking you guys more questions. I apologize. No, this oh, is supposed to be open. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, the thing I love about Yasmani, though, is that there was a stretch in June. I kid you not. It got to the point where it looked like the umpires were looking to him to figure <laughs> out if it was a ball or a strike. Like, they were not calling it, even if it was, like, close. They just look at Yasmani like, he didn't even flinch. It's a ball. There you go. <laughs> take your base. 
<laughs> and I mean, his his batting eye has just been incredible this year. And he's walking at a rate where, you know, under normal circumstances, you'd think it was like Barry Bonds or something when he's getting on base, but it's, they're just not pitching to him. Yeah. I feel like we've been saying since April or May yeah. that it's not sustainable. And here we are. <laughs> well, he's gone, but yeah, it was sustainable technically. It was. <laughs> yeah. He could have gone all season just walking. And exactly. I mean, realistically thinking about it, like you would assume that a catcher is going to have the best eye at the plate because, you know, they're, they're the ones having to watch those pitches come in from that same purview. So you really, it's a good thing defensively that he has that good of an eye at the plate. And then we kind of do feel it with him being out on the injury. We're not as deep in catching as turn as say the Mets are, because while Nimmo's not the best, he's still pretty good compared to like, some of the other options that you can have. So when McCann got benched for a little bit because he wasn't hitting, like having Nimmo come in and replace him, it it wasn't a terrible swap. No, and Nito's yeah. um his his defensive skills are just you know outstanding. His bat is um is streaky, but yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a terrific defensive catcher, and yeah, um I think with runners in scoring position, he's been one of the Mets' best hitters. So yeah, he's certainly bringing um that next man up mentality. It's helped. Yeah. Yeah. There's two full catchers on the Mets as opposed to like one and a half. Two <laughs> half catchers. Two half catchers. <laughs> that makes a whole catcher, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, like in my feeling, so as somebody who was a catcher for many, many years, like my, and my feeling in general about defense is that defense is harder to teach than offense. You can coach somebody to be a better hitter. You can coach somebody to, at least time pitching better and things like that. You cannot coach good defensive catching. That is incredibly hard to do. And that's where my preference for Sebi Zavala comes in over Zach Collins, because defensive wise, Zach Collins is not great. Um, in, in my opinion, he has bad fundamentals. He, he doesn't sit the greatest. He will stretch his leg out. He's kind of lazy. His pop time it's isn't great. Neutral. No, he doesn't. And the way he catches, he'll like turn his wrist a certain way. Like, dude, you're going to give yourself wrist problems. <laughs> like there's just all these little things that he does that add up to him not being defensively as good. So while it's great to have a bat, I would prefer better defense in terms yeah. of a catcher. I, I think the other thing too, is that, you know, most of the advantages that you get at catcher comes from defense anyway like you have to hit a ton to make up for not being a good defensive catcher and that Collins isn't that good which is why Tim you didn't even know he was on the roster from the beginning (laughs) of the year because he's not that good and I I don't know why people are suddenly defending him as though he's like the you know second coming at catcher because he's very streaky this is the first year in four or five years that he's shown any consistent power of being able to hit more than line drive singles. And I just, I still look at it as, you know, I don't know what the White Sox are going to do with the trade deadline. And I think both teams are kind of interesting um, in interesting places for the trade deadline, but I do wish slash hope that there was a way, there would be a way for the White Sox to get some sort of veteran backstop to help round out the offense. We had Jonathan and Luke Roy for a month and then they let him go. Oh, wow. 
I wish they had kept him because he landed somewhere, didn't he? I already forgot about that. Yep. <laughs> he landed, uh, <sighs> open? No, not open. He landed somewhere. I can't remember. He's in the, I think he, the you Nationals. Know, there you go. The he, got, yeah. he got dropped by the Nationals. They were oh, really? Oh, my God. So he's with, uh, I think he's with uh, the Atlanta AAA team. There you go. Yeah, Atlanta... Atlanta hurting for catchers always makes me laugh because, like, they take the White Sox cast off. Yep. Like, they love Tyler Flowers down there, and I laugh. It absolutely cracks me up how much Braves fans love Tyler Flowers because he's not good. He was and so much they, better there, though. I Well. Hmm. Framing. True. He, his framing did get better. Um, But now they have Kevin Smith. Well, yeah. I'm like, okay, do they want Zach Collins next? Like, you guys just like, like, you guys just like the B-list catchers? Like, what's going on? Or White Sox catchers go to die, you know, after they ruined <laughs> Tyler Flowers' career with his back. It's like, okay, <laughs> we'll take the next one. <laughs> oh, well, it, it's not as bad as the Mets DFAing Travis Darnot, and then he goes and becomes oh, a True. Yeah. <laughs> true. God, that's still. You put five years into a guy, uh, he just came off. Tommy John surgery as a catcher, you give him three weeks and then DFA him. Makes total sense. Oh, no. Yeah. And then he, yeah. 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 And then I was watching the, we're, I was it's watching tough the to root for him in the Braves Uni, but um, we yeah. do. At least I do. TDA. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching the playoffs last year and every time he'd come up, I'd be like, oh, God, <laughs> we had it. Like, is he, like, is he dying? I'm like, no, they just DFA'd him and it was so stupid. <laughs> it's kind of like when we watch Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, like, <laughs> I was hoping nobody was going to bring it up. I was like, oh, you no. guys didn't really know that. I guess when he was traded, he wasn't even Oh, you knew. Okay, just Tommy. By the fact, no, just by the fact that he was Fernando Tatis's son, I knew he was yep. better than James Shields. But James Shields okay. was terrible that year. The reliever that went back to San Diego, he was like the headliner, right? Yeah. It's wild. And he turns into a superstar. Just crazy. Bartolo Colon broke James Shields, though. I will die on that hill. <laughs> that, one, that one home run broke James Shields. It was it's a turn of events. Hill. I, I've heard a lot of people say that. I, I would maintain that he was broken before then, and that was the one that made it obvious that he really wasn't that good. But Rick Hahn saw it and was like, yes, I want that man pitching for the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> that trade was I think that was one of them that the Padres got dinged on for not being truthful about like health records and stuff yeah um yeah because there were a couple trades that I think that was one of them that they hadn't been truthful about health records and they got in some trouble with baseball which we were like yeah no shit they lied you can tell (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was revenge for Mike Sorotka What a tough break for him, man. He's a good pitcher. And then he's sitting in the clubhouse and he pops his Achilles again. That's just, that's a tough break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how has how have, um, Mets fans been with James McCann? Like, I know he had a, a rough start. Um, I haven't paid attention to him much beyond, like, hearing a few things. I think from, like, White Sox folks, how have fans received him? Well, it was tough because I guess as Colleen was saying earlier, um, New York fans are impatient, especially <laughs> when it comes to like a new guy coming in. 
Um, you know, everybody kind of started slow for the Mets. They were not hitting with runners in scoring position. It was just really, it was becoming a, a, a team-wide issue. And being that he came in and, and nobody expected McCann to get a four-year deal, um, you know, I guess there were expectations. And, uh, you know, after a really slow start, he's come around and there's still stragglers as far as the fan base getting behind him. But um, I think the smarter section of the fans are very pleased with what he's brought as far as leadership, with what he's brought um, with his offense, he's been really, um, I, I would say, a, you know, more than expected, at least on, on my part. Um, I expected a little bit more on the defensive side. But again, with Tomas Nito, uh, the, the fall off hasn't even been noticeable because Luis Rojas can kind of just mix and match and play the matchups. And, oh, if Marcus Stroman likes throwing to Nito, oh, let's do it that way and just kind of make it work. No. Yeah, I mean, knowing how much, like, Detroit fans hated James McCann when he was there, like, it makes me happy that it's not just the White Sox fans that love him. Yeah. <laughs> that he's he's winning over the New Yorkers. That, oh, he certainly crazy. is. Uh, yeah. he, like I said, I think I said earlier, he's hitting, like, 292, I think, since June 1st. That's yeah. That's going to play. And that's, what, 50, 60 points higher than the average catcher's batting average? Yeah. Um, his his on base percentage is, is through the roof. Yeah, I'm very happy. Um, if his yearly totals can kind of raise, I think he's above catcher averages. But if he can make like true separation between that catcher average and his numbers, I, I think he'll start to get the respect he deserves. And he's he's faster on the base pass than a lot of catchers are. Like catchers are he not known up. for being speedy. They're not known for having good knees, and especially. Like, he's not a young guy. I mean, he's not super old. But still, in terms of, like, stealing bases, making his way around the base paths, he's got that extra boost of speed that I think helps him out a lot. He moves very well for, a, you know, like you said, backstops are not traditionally athletic, more athletic than, you know, or as athletic as a true position player. But, no, he, he pulls it off very, very well. He's been a – he even played some first base this year, which he'd never done professionally. Oh, it's first played – Oh, his first play in the field, he made a diving grab. He hit his face in the dirt, got up. His hat was all askew. Was awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I forgot yeah, about that's, that. That's how you make fans. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. So I do have a question because I think one of the main differences, at least recently in terms of the Mets versus White Sox, is that um, the Mets have seemed to have gotten a second life, as it were, with the new owner and Steve Cohen. And Wanted to know, just like as a Mets fan, thoughts on him as an owner. And then also the other interesting part of that, too, is that I still think he has to be the only MLB owner that I know of that's like public facing on Twitter on a daily basis. And I don't know how that is as being a Mets fan that you have like an owner that's constantly tweeting. Going from the Wilpons to Steve Cohen, it's night and day in itself. Um, when you talk about just public appearances and being out there and putting himself yeah. out there, the Wilpons hadn't made a public appearance since Sandy Alderson stepped down with cancer. I think that was 2018. And then they, they sold, yeah, yeah, they don't, nobody ever came out to, to say anything. Um, it was just, it, it was a, it was a nightmare. And, um, Cohen coming in, you know, it hasn't been perfect, and, and but the, the, I guess the seeds have been planted for you could see culture change, and mm-hmm. you had to make a lot of changes 
to the existing culture because, you know, as the stories we've heard, what was going on within the organization on just a number of different levels was um, not up to snuff. So that that's going to take time to not only clean that up in-house, but kind of build the trust back with the fans who were taken aback by what was happening. Um, you'd also like to see him start taking care of his minor leaguers. I believe the Toronto Blue Jays are the only team to increase their pay above minimum levels. Yeah. Since, uh, this came into light. And I believe I hate to say to- it, but I think the Astros did too. Did they? Good as for much, them. I, as much as I hate the Astros, I think they actually were one of them who also increased. They either <laughs> increased the pay or they're paying. They're one of them who's paying for housing. It's something like housing. housing. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. See, that's good. Yeah. I think yeah. Toronto increased salaries by 50% across the board. Wow. And I, I think that, you know, that's, that's, you know, for a base, for a minor league baseball player, that's life changing money. And yeah. um, it's, it's the future of the game. They deserve it. And I think that would be where Cohen's shortcomings have, have been. He, he said he would address it. And this was going on a couple of weeks ago. And I think he said it in a couple of weeks. Uh, you'd hate to see them put their black uniforms coming back ahead of minor league uh, wages on the priority list. But um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully he gets the job done because that's a, you know, that's a, that's how you make your mark as a new owner. Go out and spend money on free agents. Put a winning team on the field. No, you're investing in the future by giving your minor leaguers what they deserve. And, uh, you know, I think that will have the – not maybe not the largest waves, but the long-lasting impact that you're looking for from new ownership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like that he's a fan, that he's an, that he's an actual fan of the team. Like, I know some people aren't wild about that out of ownership, but, like, I – like you kind of feel the difference between owners that are fans of the team and owners that are like, this is just an investment. And we kind of, we see that sometimes with Jerry where we're, no one's really sure if he likes the team or not just based on some of this, like, do you like the bulls? Do you like the, like, what's the deal, dude? Um, But just in my opinion, it's nice to see an owner who's like as into the team as everybody else is. He is. And what's even better is that he's separating ownership from operations which under the will ponds for years that was just hand in hand he's actually yep. gone out and said no no no, like this yeah i own the team and this is my money but baseball people are going to make baseball decisions and that's where i think we've seen such a difference in the roster construction i mean over the last few years if you saw the mets lose two dozen players to the il as they did in the first three months you know we already had triple a guys coming in to replace them this year in years past, who knows how they could have, you know, cleared that hurdle. Not only have they gotten through, they're in first place at the All-Star break. And that's just something that, you know, we've seen teams quit in April. We've seen teams quit in May. We've seen ownership just say, oh, maybe next year. Like, literally, they came out and said that. Um, it, you know, it just feels like that's a thing of the past now. And, um, yeah, Cohen has a lot to do with that. Still a lot of work to do, but it's yeah. uh, it's exciting for the fans. Yeah. I like that he is the Buckner ball. That just makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) This is wild to me that he has that, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. He's also got like $40 million Picassos hanging through his house. Yeah. TV Cohen stuff. Yeah. Billionaire things. Yeah. Billionaire things. From what I've heard, he seems like a regular, like, down-to-earth guy. But again, this could be just the public Steve Cohen. I'm sure there's a cutthroat businessman behind that somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure, but just even having that image in itself is pretty cool. Um, but I, you know, I, 
I can't think of like a recent example in, in baseball, like the best comparison I can think of is someone like Mark Cuban when he came in for NBA and just like how, you know, here he is in the front row screaming at the basketball players with the rest of the fan base. And it seems very similar with, with uh, Steve Cohen. So it's a thin line. Um, you know, yeah. even in New York, we saw George Steinbrenner for years he crossed that line. Like, oh, he was the owner and he called the shots, but he also called all the shots and he acted like a fan. Yeah. Hopefully Cohen, it it appears Cohen's, um, he has the wherewithal to know the difference between doing it right and doing it wrong. Time's going to tell, but you know, the, um, it's encouraging so far. Yeah. That's a good point on Steinbrenner. Cause I mean, that, <laughs> that to me was just kind of like the evil emperor that was just in the background where it's like, all right, this isn't going the way I want it to. Here's $500 million to make it work. <laughs> and that's yeah. what he did for so long. And you know, yeah. you look at, look at AJ Preller. I, I don't want to jump off to the Padres, but you know, he went out and spent all that money, the Shields money, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Upton's all, all that. I forget what he had 2015, maybe. Yeah. Didn't work out, broke it all down and built it back up. And look at them now. They're actually making waves. Like, you know, is that the blueprint for the future? Maybe. But what the Mets scouting department has done with the front office is done now with a little bit more um, leeway and less restraints. You know, you just got to hope that this is just a uh, a domino effect and it just keeps on getting better. I like to not see dumb shit about owners and management in like when I'm reading Mets news, I like that there's not like dumb Jeff Wilpon stories <laughs> on top of some of those. I'm like, it's nice to just see baseball stuff and not yeah. Jeff Wilpon shenanigans or. Well, I say with pride, I didn't write about black jerseys today. I'm still. <laughs> into the- I'm very happy about the black jerseys returning, but yeah, I get what you're saying. You can just want to hear about baseball sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Although it was funny, I got, I saw the black jerseys and I saw all of that stuff on Twitter. And like four hours later, I got the ESPN alert about it. I was like, you guys are like way behind. <laughs> like, I know ESPN's got some problems right now, but I'm like, at least push out the good news. <laughs> yeah. That's good news for us because I love the black jerseys. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm in my late thirties and uh, yeah, that's right in my wheelhouse. You know, those are my... My Robin Ventura's, my Mike Piazza's, those were the those were the days, and those are some very very uh, good memories tied with those uniforms. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I was looking. I was like, I wonder if I could fly out to New York for like Friday and fly back Saturday. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if I can convince my husband on that. <laughs> and then I was looking at flights, and it's like, ooh. What's well, all like a 14, 15 hour drive from New York to Chicago, right? Yeah, drive for the day and back. Road trip. <laughs> well, we did that. I went out to see uh, like a Grateful Dead offshoot in Chicago in 2012. We made that trip for the weekend, and it was not fun. That's a <laughs> ride to make friends in a weekend. Yeah, yeah, that is. That is yeah, great cool. time. Great time in the city. Great time <laughs> at the shows. But boy, that was a that was a long in between. Yeah, <laughs> very long trips with a, a a car full of smelly hippies. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what I'm you one of cool. I think I got my face shirt on now. <laughs> that's awesome. You hit Indiana and Ohio, and it all starts to look the same after a while. Oh, uh, Iowa, Iowa. That's the one. It's like, where am I? Where did I just land? Like, wh- what is this? It's another world. Like, upstate New York is one thing compared to being downstate. You get to the Midwest, and it's like, wow. Hello, America. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's very cool. I love 
moving around the country. It's so much fun. Yeah. Iowa though. You're right. Iowa's <laughs> sorry Iowa's to everybody cool. that's listening that's in Iowa. Hey, no, I got I, mean, I have family really friends in place. Iowa. It's a cool place. I've had a lot of fun out there, but it's just a an entirely different world from what you know. I'm from New York. It's a little bit different, but uh I love it. I like going south, love going north. I got family up in like western Massachusetts, which is just beautiful. Is it weird that I'm looking forward to seeing how Yankees fans react to being in Iowa for the Field of Dreams game? Oh, I forgot they were doing that. <laughs> they're not going to make the trip. They'll watch on TV. Yeah. But there are, there's Yankee fans everywhere. So, Oh, yeah. There's a guy in my office. He's my, like, one baseball fan. Because I work in advertising. <laughs> like, it's not a baseball-heavy industry. But there's the one guy in my office who's a Yankees fan. And I was like, dude, really? <laughs> Everybody's a Yankees fan. At least, like, have a deep cut in, like, the A's or something. <laughs> something <Yankees>. surprising. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, you're a Yankees fan? Oh, do you also like vanilla ice cream? Like, everybody <laughs> likes the Yankees. It, it's just, I never understood it as, like, a conversation starter either. Like, where, this happened to me a lot in college, where you would see people wearing Yankees hats, and they would just kind of, like, do this whole, like, bro routine with each other. And I'm like... How is that a conversation piece that you're a Yankees fan? Like, the, there's nothing more that you can say than, oh, yeah, Yankees, Jeter, what's up? And, and move on. <laughs> yeah, I was in high school. For yeah. and it was not easy. It was, uh, you know, and I was, I was going to ask you guys, you know, here it's pretty much, all right, well, my, you know, your family's Mets fans, you're a Mets fan, or in some cases, your dad's a Mets fan, and you're a Yankees fan, just to piss them off, whatever the case is. Is it decided in the same way in Chicago between Cubs and White Sox fans? In my house, it was. I so, know. I'm curious. I want to hear everyone's little kind of original uh, origin stories. So my family is from Bridgeport, which is on the south side. It's the neighborhood that the White Sox play in. Um, and you may remember the Cubs for a million years. They're on WGN. They had all of this we coverage. They had it here in New York, stuff. yeah. Yeah. So my mom is from, my mom grew up in Michigan and she grew up a Cubs fan because that was just what they got. So my parents got married and my mom is the only Cubs fan in the family. My dad indoctrinated us very young (laughs) to get a snack. We had to say the Cubs sucked. Like it was just, (laughs) just something that was drilled into us as kids. And like, my sister is just like, oh, like she'll go to a game. She's not that into it. And I think I'm out of the kids. I'm probably the most rabid baseball fan. Hmm. And it, it just happened that way. Like, I guess I could have been a Cubs fan, but I chose not to be. I don't really, you know, I just never imagined it. But the nice thing about my mom being a Cubs fan is that when the Mets are in town, I take her to those. Yeah. And I say, mom, we're going to go to the Mets game. She goes, don't you mean the Cubs game? I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's kind of common to have split households though, like you're saying, um, because I've talked to quite a few people who are like, my mom's a Cubs fan and they're a Sox fan. And although it's always their mom, I never hear about people who <laughs> mom is a Cubs yeah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> like you're definitely, I feel like I've talked to at least three other people who are White Sox fans whose mom are Cubs fans. So I don't know how that happens, I guess. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because um, here, I mean, you know, the Yankees have been around forever, but the Mets were only around in 62. So you have 
the older generation of Mets fans who were born and were either Dodgers or Giants fans and then refused to root for the Yankees. So they were just kind of waiting <laughs> for the Mets. And, you know, once that happened, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's no no Yankee fans allowed in the house. Um, <laughs> as I was saying, like, you know, I grew up with Yankees fans in my family as best friends. It's just how it is. You know, everyone roots for their team and lived through the dynasty. I don't know if I gained an appreciation for – just a, a commitment to winning World Series every year and being a Mets fan, we just didn't have that. Um, I actually gained a bit of an appreciation. I know everybody hates the Yankees because they go out and spend all this money, but um, yeah, I'm like one of the few Mets fans who can actually sit down and be like, oh, cool, the Yankees are on. They got canceled tonight, and um, I was actually a little bit disappointed. I, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the minority. I know that. <laughs> well, so, no, uh- it's not so much like that the Yankees were on. It's that the Yankees are always on (laughs) ESPN. It's always the Yankees and the Red Sox. And I like, I made the joke today. I'm like, I think they're contractually obligated when the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing each other, that they have to put it on ESPN. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. Elon, you going to share your origin story? Um, My origin story is through my family, Tommy Barbie. It's my fault. <laughs> you ushered my safety in. Um, so I grew up in Alabama and the closest MLB team was the Braves. So that's all I grew up watching. And that's the only baseball they really televised. I don't think we had WGN until I was like 10 or 11. And by that time I did not care about, I cared about baseball when I was really little. And then I didn't care at all like in my teen years. And then I only started caring again, probably in my mid twenties, because my brother got super into the Detroit Tigers through his wife. And I actually started going to like MLB games. And I was like, this is fun. And then I was like a Cubs bandwagoner because it was like, this is fun and cool. But then (laughs) I actually started like, I was enjoying baseball in that time. Um, And I actually, I talked to Tommy. We used to work together and I talked to him about being like, I don't know. I think like the White Sox are more fun and interesting. And he was like, you should be a fan because anybody <laughs> can just be a fan. And I was like, this is a good idea. So I was like thinking about it. And then I started writing with these guys. And I mean, then once you start writing about it, it's like, You're how right. can I not love them? <laughs> They're a lovable team. Yes. They are. And now I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. <laughs> Now, this was before, um, what was that, 05, right? 05, the Sox won World Series? Yep. Yeah. But that was a fun team. What was his name? Uh, Pruszynski. Yep. I he's a legend AJ around that Pruszynski. way, right? He's got to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love A.J. Pruszynski. He Undersung like, career. Very undersung career. Yeah. For sure. Top 10. One of my favorites. That's awesome. Yeah. And Tommy, how did you get into uh, yeah. into the White Sox? Um, for me, it was interesting because growing up, I actually went to more Cubs games than White Sox games because the White Sox were the harder team to be a fan of because back then um, you had to pay for the bonus cable channels to watch the White Sox. That um, didn't last very long, though. It didn't last very long, but it lasted long enough for most people to be like, all right, if I want to watch baseball, I have to watch the Cubs because that's always on, um, you know, kind of like the Yankees. Um, but this, there was a lot of gatekeeping to being a White Sox fan between the ticket prices, the 
cable TV access and all of that. So I went to a lot more Cubs games back then because they were terrible. Wrigley was always empty. Tickets were basically being given away. And, you know, Wrigleyville back then was super sketchy. So um, it it is all of the stereotypes that you hear about now about the White Sox existed for the Cubs for most of the 80s and 90s. Um, And then, you know, as I got older, like I still remember some of like the key Cubs games because they were always on when I would come home from school. So I remember the Kerry Wood game like it was yesterday because I I watched that from um, coming home early from school and things like that. But I always liked the White Sox teams more. Um, I loved Carlton Fisk, loved Bo Jackson, loved Frank Thomas. Robin Ventura, like I identified with the the players way more than most of the Cubs players. And I've never been like a Cubs hater. So the same way you feel about the Yankees, I feel (laughs) about the Cubs. I'll watch them. I find them interesting. There are a couple of Cubs players that I like that I'm hoping will get traded to better teams so that they can save themselves. But, um, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But you You know know what? The Cubs don't deserve him because the fans hate him. Give him to us. No, exactly. Yeah, I feel the same way. You don't deserve him. him. Let him play on a team that he'll actually be appreciated and embraced. But oh, the fans here want him. The fans in New York really want him. Oh yeah, yeah. I I think anywhere he would get treated better than he is in the Cubs. Like it's really bad, and it has been for a while. It's a shame. Yeah, for them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as somebody who's not a Cubs fan, I did like a deep dive last. I won't, wouldn't even call it a deep dive. Like last year, I was like, I wonder why Cubs, the Cubs fans hate him so much. Like I don't, I wasn't following him. I don't follow individual Cubs players. Um, so I was going through like his stats and stuff. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like he no, has, really doesn't. he's got really good numbers. Like maybe one year when he was kind of hurt, it wasn't great. But even still, it was better than most. And I'm like, I don't understand you guys. But I think that was the year that, they started going after his wife and like tweeting out to his wife and everybody else being like, Oh, your husband sucks and all this other stuff. Cause it got yeah. personal on a really weird level and yeah. it just, it was uncomfortable. And I, I don't know how it's actually stayed even relevantly afloat in all this time. Cause it's been like two years of this. Yeah. It has been weird for a while now. And I think Colleen was right. I remember they started being like, oh, he sucks because he's injured. I did not know about the wife stuff, but the Cubs have a lot of weird wife stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why do they have so much stuff about their wives always going around? It's kind of weird. Um, Sorry, Ben Zobris. Yeah. Oh, who's the one there in Chicago now? Sogard, Eric Sogard, his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of trickled down from like Brewers fans too, because they didn't like either one of them. She's very, she's kind of nutty. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's for another episode, another day, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, James McCann was going through that stuff early in the year when he wasn't hitting well. Um, Mets fans were, I guess his wife tweeted something and they gotten her replies fast and it's yeah. just horrible. Uh, there's no reason for that. It just. Well, and the rookie, um, oh God, I can't ever say his name. It starts with a Y. I want to say Yagamoto, but I don't think that's right. Yamamoto, uh, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, I think, yeah, they were 
going after his wife. Mm-hmm. Just awful. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Just terrible. Yeah. Don't go after people's family members. Like, come on, that's not cool. No. Yeah. Um, I do remember when uh, Carlos Rodon, when um, it was first announced that he was leaving us, <laughs> um, people were kind of saying stuff to his wife. Um, oh, but, really? Yeah. Nothing crazy, but just like, you know. It's still weird. Just like, see you later. So nothing like really egregious, but still just like, ugh. And then weird. he came back, so. Yeah, you know, it's awkward. awkward. <laughs> you never know. I mean, I, I think that's weird. I also think it's weird when, um, I don't know if this happens with the Mets fandom, but there have been cases recently where it seems like family members are searching for their relative's name on Twitter and then replying back to anybody that's tweeting about said player. And I'm like, that's also weird because yes. I shouldn't be going out and talking to, you know, this person's wife or father or whatever. Don't come in my mentions and be like, oh, how dare you insult my kid? It's like, mm, Were you one of them that I'm Cody sorry. Hoyer's dad went after? No, thankfully <laughs> I, I was not tweeting about him that day. And <laughs> That's so weird. It's weird. That whole thing was just so weird. Yeah. Like the reliever, uh, Tim, the relievers, Cody Hoyer, um, his dad would search his son's name. And like, if people were tweeting like, oh, he gave up a home run or like, oh, he sucks today, stuff like that. He would respond like, well, you, I bet you've never had a bad day at work before. Or like the offense <laughs> could be doing a better job. It's like, <sighs> yeah. The, sorry. It's like, do you really want to get into this on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Luis Guillorme, his dad is very active in Mets Twitter, but he's not like that at all. He's, he's, um, always mixing it up. He's not like super defensive of his son. He's just a, a smart baseball fan and he gets it. And, um, you know, it, it's cool. I think Joey Lucchese's mom, uh, bounces around Mets Twitter a bunch, always very positive. You know, you, you love to see it. And then, you know, you have some parents like that and it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Guillaume's dad reminds me of Lucas Giolito's dad. Because Lucas Giolito's dad is kind of like that, too. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. He was. I, he, he said something a few months ago. He was having me rolling. Now I forget what it was. But. <laughs> yeah. So fun Twitter parents, yay. Bad Twitter parents, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the story of social media. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And on that note, we are going to take a very quick commercial break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look at that. I remembered. Yeah. You're better at remembering than I am. 
<laughs> no shit. She All right. We you and back. Janice, Crystal, and I get through a whole episode, and we're like, we didn't break for a commercial. <laughs> That's usually what happens with Keelan and I. <laughs> oh, we've all been there. Yep. Yeah. Oh. All right. We and we are back talking about all things Mets, White Sox, bad Twitter follows <laughs> and good Twitter follows <laughs> and people that do things that they shouldn't be doing. So, um, you know, it is coming up to the trade deadline, and I have to ask, like, as a Mets fan, how do you feel going into this trade deadline? Because I, I know it's the arrow's definitely pointing up for for the Mets, but there's always room for improvement. And it's a weird year this year where most of the teams that are in the lead have substantial leads, but the NL East in, in particular. All y'all are beating up on each other, but I still maintain that the records are way better than, like, the teams are way better than the records are showing right now. So how do you feel going into the trade deadline? Well, the Mets, I guess the starting rotation is certainly uh, an area of priority. Um, One through three, DeGrom, Stroman, and Taiwan Walker have been outstanding. But those back to, um, there's been a lot of uh, just volatility, uh, injuries between Lucchese, uh, Peterson, um, Carlos Carrasco is coming back. He's starting his rehab assignment, I believe, tonight. Uh, that's going to be huge. Yeah. But I think going out and adding another starting pitcher uh, has to be of of priority. The, the bullpen's been up and down. Um, you know, every bullpen is inconsistent. It's just it's the nature of a bullpen. But um, they have the talent there. I, I'd like to see them add another lefty. Aaron Loop, who you guys are probably familiar with from Chicago, he's been outstanding. I think he's got a 1.61 ERA. He's racking up. He's pushing 40 innings already. Just really um, been terrific. Chris Bryant really does feel like a an excellent fit for this team just because he's versatile defensively. He can play third. He can play left. This team's kind of hallmark it has been versatility. It, it's it, it would seem to be a good fit as long as the cost isn't too much for a player that's going to, uh, you know, amount to a, a rental. It would – um. It would really be a plus for this roster. I know we just talked about it a little bit, but um, Jose Barrios has been mentioned as a target from the Twins. That's on the starting pitching side, of course. He might cost a bunch, and I don't want to take Josh Donaldson. But uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't when I saw that rumor, like, a lot Josh of Barrios. And if you take Donaldson's money, it won't be as much. But I don't want Josh Donaldson. He's you know he's thirty-six. He's injury prone. He's a fine player, but. Yeah. Mm. No. yeah, he is injury-prone, and then drama, just drama. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was giving Giolito a hard time, right? Yes. Yeah. He it said was that he crazy. met him in the parking lot to fight him, and I was like, I will die on the hill that he did not do that. Because I wonder that parking if he tied lot up is... his little man bun. Yeah. yeah. I was like, first of all, that parking lot is tiny. <laughs> if, you met and, if you met anyone in that player's parking lot, we'd have heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, it's disproven, a... too, which is my favorite part. Yeah, Liam really? Hendricks came yeah. out. Yeah, Liam Hendricks came out and was like, "Dude, no, you didn't." That's hilarious <laughs> and so weird and creepy that like he even tried to say that. Yeah. So no, I, I hope was... you don't get him either. <laughs> or us. I don't. I don't think that he would though. I don't like. I think the Twins are going to hold on to him as long as possible because they did spend a shitload of money on him and they want. The Twins don't like to be proven wrong in terms of who they're signing. 
in, in terms of who they're spending big money on. I think them having Josh Donaldson, I think they're going to hold on to him for at least another year to see what they can get out of him. Yeah, And then I think they're going to cut him loose. I think his ceiling as a player is still high enough. When he's healthy, he's a difference yeah. maker. But if I'm the Mets, I'm not giving up assets to take that to take that chance. No way. No, I think Chris Bryant. I do think Chris Bryant would be a good fit for the Mets. As much as I would love him on the Sox, I think we have enough third base outfield depth that Chris Bryant may not be as useful as we would like him to be. With JD Davis hurts, and then with you know, various injuries floating around the outfield of the Mets. I think Chris Bryant would be a good fit there because even if he's not playing third base every day, he could play the outfield at some points. Or when they're in, you know, when they're in the stadiums, he could DH in opportunities if they need him to. So I feel like Chris Bryant is a better fit for the Mets than he would be for the White Sox. And I'm sorry, all the White Sox fans are going to yell at me about that. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, Chris Bryant has always been like, I wish it would happen, but it's never going to happen. Like, yeah. for one, the Cubs are never going to make another trade with the White Sox. Like, we will all <laughs> no. before another trade happens between the Cubs and the White Sox. Um, but I, I yeah, after getting fleeced, <laughs> like, that all never happen yet. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, because I, I didn't look as – at Brian as being a rental for the Mets only because I could see them being a fit for him in free agency. So it, it would be interesting to see how that would play out. I would hope that like, you know, if, if the Mets were players for Viento, uh, for, uh, uh, for Brian, um, you know, considering he's only got a half season left on his deal, I would hope like, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Mark Vientos. Um, High-ish round draft pick of the Mets 2017, 2016. Has some power. Um, It's starting to hit for more average. They bounced in between third base and first base. You know, packaging him with a high-end starting pitching prospect, if that's enough to land Brian, I think that's palatable. Because, one, you have the chance to resign him because the Mets do have the money now and they will have the need. And and the Cubs have a couple of, you know, solid, um, I guess, prospects to – to fall back on whether the fan base would be uh, happy or not with getting back two prospects they never heard of for Chris Bryant. That's another question, but from what you guys are saying, they don't really like him anyway. Well, and yeah. they'll complain anyway, because that's the kind of mood that they're in right now. But oh. I mean, it, it, it's 14 in a row or whatever. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's reached a point though, where I think on a daily basis, Judd Hoyer has been going on a radio tour being like, yeah, I'm going to blow this team up. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to recognize well, the rock oh, August flips around. <laughs> oh, well, the has been going around crying poor for the last like year and a half. And so I think Cubs fans are kind of expecting that yeah. a lot of guys are getting dumped. Like Javi Baez had his chance to sign a big contract in the offseason and he said no because he thought they'd give him more money. Well, now he leads the league in strikeouts. So I don't think you're getting the money that you think you are, buddy. Like he said that he wanted, yeah, he said that he wanted Francisco Lindor money. And I'm like, (laughs) I was like, well, in the right spot, that's a, he's a heck of a player. He really is. I don't know if I'd give him Lindor or, no, but yeah. No, I would not give him Lindor. Yeah. Yeah. I love his ceiling. Fun player. (sighs) 
I know. I'm talking to White Sox fans. I'm not going to get <laughs> no. any here. But so no, I will say like there are Cubs players that I'm fond of. There are players that I really don't like, and it's like <laughs> Anthony Rizzo, top of my list. That you um, don't like. I cannot stand them. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant that you do like. I was concerned. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Anthony, everybody, Anthony Rizzo is my number one do not like wood fire into the sun. <laughs> my, and it's so funny because my mom loves him. And in 2019, we went uh, to the Mets Cubs. And every time we'd come up to bed, I'd yell, fat ass. And she was like, we're going to get in trouble. I was like, no, we're not. There's Mets fans around us. We'll be, we'll be fine. <laughs> uh, so it's Anthony Rizzo and then Javi Baez. And my big beef with Javi Baez is that I don't think he's the super amazing player that local media and that national media make him out to be. It's all, oh, he makes these great defensive plays. He's so wonderful. It's not really that. He just makes these really easy plays look really hard. And then everybody thinks that he's so wonderful. And then he swings at everything, thus the high strikeout rate. He's just like, he's okay in my opinion, like as a shortstop, he's just okay. And I think a shortstop being such a high, high level position where you have to be talented, that even like an okay guy is going to look like a superstar to some people. Yeah. Like what are the White Sox? Okay, all right. So you have Robert coming back towards the end of the year. Like is Billy Hamilton, like your center fielder moving forward or like, <laughs> it, what, what are the White Sox doing at the trade deadline? <laughs> it's a big shrug. I wish I knew. You know what? We had this conversation last year. We're like, what are they going to do with the trade deadline? And then they added, oh God, who was it that they added? At like we got, uh, he's on the Royals now. Pirates. Gerard Dyson. Yeah. They added yeah. Gerard Dyson. And I think it was because Rick was like, oh, it's the trade deadline. We got to do something. Yeah. We were talking about. Like Lance so thank Lynn. you for explaining exactly why I don't like Rick Hahn right now. Because <laughs> like the one year that the White Sox had in recent history to actually make a run with their manager saying all year long, I'm begging you, give me another starter because I need more than two guys that can pitch. You got Gerard Dyson, who's not even a starting outfielder. You got a fourth outfielder at the trade that line. To fill a need that didn't like wasn't even there, but he um, can steal bases. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that was, so that when the doesn't get on, he can come in in the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, it's for that possibility of the tenth inning that we might have that we exactly. have the whole players. Yeah. So, like the White Sox, they have uh, enough of a cushion. What is it like six or seven games? Eight. Yeah. Eight. No, can, can they eight games? I'm sorry. Can yeah. they lead out? Second the, Cleveland. You know the 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 Luis Roberts to come back, the Eloy Jimenez is to come back. Can they do they have enough cushion to to kind of just stand pat? Do you think they do? And I think what my concern is, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, so y'all chime in too. But my concern is that Rick Hahn is going to look at Eloy coming back and Luis Robert coming back and say, "Hey, that's two trades. I didn't even have to give anybody up." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, no, I could see that. I could see that too. Yeah, and oh. I didn't have to do anything, and they'll get Ta-da. like a fringe corner middle infielder utility guy to be like, "Here's your magical replacement," 
here, you know, you have Robert and Jimenez coming back and then it's like, everybody's happy. I think that it will depend because honestly, Tony LaRusse is driving the show. Like it, 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 it's not anybody else's show. It, I mean, Colleen, when, when they ask about roster moves or anything, it's that's Tony LaRusso that's in front of the media, which I think is weird, but nobody else yeah. has it, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he's got national I, writers, like, saying, oh, he's doing a great job. Like, okay. But I mean, he's, right. like, he's not swinging the bat, for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, our own fan base says the same thing, so. Yeah. yeah. There's a It's got to be odd. There's a little corner of Sox fan base that I am also and I'm also a conspiracy theorist about, which is very rare because I don't like conspiracy theories, but I don't think he's the one who's actually managing from the bench. I think somebody else is doing the work. I think we can tell games where like he is directly involved in managing it, and that is where we get, hey, let's bunt on Derek Holland, because that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's games when he's less involved than one of the other coaches. I I really think that that's what's happening right now. So you're like doing like the good Elvis, bad Elvis. <laughs> That's amazing. That's interesting. I have not heard that before. Yeah. I, well, actually, so it might be the corner of Sax fandom. That's just my dad. But... Okay. <laughs> like, I want to join that conspiracy. corner. I just hadn't heard it. I'm like, well, he's, he's said it a few times and I'm like, I can kind of see that. <laughs> I hope you know, it's it, true just because I'm here for that kind of absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would make my life more interesting, but uh, I think we need that, to get that know. we need to get that going. <laughs> I we heard I it here first. Yeah. yeah. I think I said this on our other podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna get a letter from the White Sox and it's not gonna be one of the nice thank you for being a season ticket holder. It's gonna be please shut the fuck up. <laughs> On the nice, thick, certified mail paper. Yeah. Like, yeah. And assist. <laughs> yeah. Please uh, stop. I, please stop talking about <laughs> Well, I, I do see. think there were two. Oh, like, ahead, no, I was going to say there there have only been like one or two times. Tommy, I think you and I both either talked about this or kind of noticed it at the same time. We've only seen Miguel Cairo, like our bench coach, like twice. Oh, yeah. Full season. Yeah. I forgot that so, he was even over there. Yeah, I forgot. And then one day he came out and they were like, I think it was during the sticky stuff and they were like, Cairo with the like rosin bag. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> he was there. Oh, we Next have legend, Miggy Cairo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, yeah, he's... He, he's our ghost manager. Yeah. You heard, you I heard it. He's surprised. He's a smart guy. Yes. Oh, exactly. No, I was going to say the same thing. He's a smart guy. So, I mean, oh, it couldn't surprise me. He was with the Mets during those like 99, 2000, maybe even a little bit later. But mm-hmm. uh, really, a uh, heads up fielder, clutch hitter. We, I liked Miguel Cairo a lot. I'm, I'm happy that he's making headway as a, uh, as a coach. That he's our ghost manager from the bench. He's supposed Literally to be pulling the little the reverse strings. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when when they're like you, Lewis has got to go to the mound. He like takes a stick out and pokes him to wake him up. <laughs> Shoves him. You got to go make a pitching change. <laughs> point at your left arm. Point at your left arm. <laughs> Do one of these. <laughs> oh, they're drawing eye. They're drawing eyes on Lewis's eyelids so he can take a nap in the dugout. Yep, he's got the sunglasses on. Put the sunglasses and hat on him, he's, you're not going to be able to tell. Just prop him up against the bench. 
I do oh. think this inter- this trait that line is interesting because if Jerry is committed to making this Tony LaRusa thing work, then he's going to have to invest on, on the team more than he's done previously. So I, I look at it as kind of an interesting experiment where is this the year that the White Sox are suddenly buying up all these rental contracts at the deadline because who knows what's going to happen with next year and the CBA and all that other stuff and just make it work now? Or is it going to be the same thing that happened last year where it's like, eh, we're good enough. We're getting two more guys. We don't really need to do anything. And here, enjoy this random player that you'll forget was on the White Sox roster. (laughs) And we're in the same position again where the Sox look really great playing average to slightly above average teams. But the minute you hit the grind of the playoffs, they get eliminated first, second round. Yeah, I think that's my like main concern. And when everybody is talking about like, this is our year and stuff, like it's all great now because yeah. the sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the scheduling thing Thank really God. is in the divisional thing. I mean, who we play, it is really like okay, this is great, sp- but how will we do when we play? Teams that are actually good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think as they start to get in the stretch of, well, this weekend they're playing Houston. So I think as we get into the stretch of the teams that are expected to make the playoffs, <sighs> I think that is going to be, I know. It's traumatic I, last time. <laughs> it was so good. Well, and then I'm trying to write the Know Your Enemy article about it. And I'm like, how did the last series go? Fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> But I think as we get into playing like the Dodgers and the Astros and the Padres and the teams that are do or even the Giants, which is the surprise to everybody, the teams that are actually doing really well, that's going to show where the holes are and where we're missing Luis, we're missing Eloy, we're missing Madrigal because he can just get on base. So I think coming out of this series is probably going to show us more of what we need at the trade deadline. Yeah, and hopefully somebody will see that and do the right thing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we can start throwing paper airplanes at the owner's boxes and see if that gets up there. (laughs) Just trade proposals. Just just pretend they're notes from Tony LaRusso. Just do like some weird hand. Right with my left hand. (laughs) (laughs) Do it as ransom notes. I need need another guy. (laughs) We need us. I think both the Mets and the Sox have the same thing that they need to do in the back half of the season, and that is get the offense going. The White Sox offense has been, like, really hot and cold, and I think the Mets have been having the same problem. Where the Mets have gotten slightly better offensively towards the All-Star break, and then Pete Alonso won the home run derby. So now there's the expectations of him. He's got to do a little better in the second half. The White Sox need to see that, too. Yeah. I mean, as far as Alonso's going – um. He's actually had one of the more consistent seasons available to Mets. His power hasn't been there, but it's coming around. Um, And that's kind of been the story with everybody. I mean, Conforto and McNeil are out for so long, and they're finally just starting hitting hitting their group before the break. Lindor had such a tough start to the season, and he's been been Francisco Lindor again, and that's been really cool to see. Um, J.D. Davis coming back. I think he's expected back on Friday. That should bring a little more pop. Uh, Dominic Smith, he's been hitting really well since like the middle of June. You know, now that the roster is whole again, I think you're going to see at least the Mets 
take a step forward. Um, a lot of people are calling for another bat as far as making it add, uh, an addition before the deadline. You know, you have so much firepower here to begin with. I'd hate to, I think I said it before, you'd hate to give away assets for something that you might not need. But if that perfect deal is there, and uh, same thing goes for the White Sox. If you think that you can make a move that's going to make you an actual contender, I mean, if now's not the time, when is? Yep. And that's where Chris Bryant's can go for the Mets. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, we shall see. As long as we're not giving up too much. I swear if they trade Ronnie Mauricio for a half a year of Chris Bryant, I'm going to cry. Oh, oh I, I don't feel really that. No, 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 no. 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 Oh, I hope goodness. not. Don't put that out in the universe. <laughs> people people yeah, are saying, like, oh, give him, give him Brett Beatty. I'm like, this guy's been like the fourth most valuable minor leaguer in, the, in, in all of the minors this year. You're not giving him up for a rental. Stop. <laughs> Chris Bryant is not that well needed. No. Oh, you know, well, and let's see what Hoyer's asking. A hot dog, probably. Exactly. <laughs> he's just looking at the bottom line. He's like, oh, no. my God, I'm going to Here, take this money. money. Here. <laughs> we got to get below the luxury tax, guys. Give us Kimball, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's been so good. Oh, too. Yeah. He has been doing really, really much better this season than he was last year. This but, is the best time to trade him for that reason. Yep. In his yep. defense, he was out for like half the season staying at home in yeah. 2019 before the Cubs got him. So, but he's doing much better now than he was last year and really in 2019. Yeah. No, his secondary stuff's always played. Now he has command on his fastball again. He's just ridiculous. Yep. Oh yeah. So before we wrap up, I have to ask everyone, what are you looking forward to most in the second half of the season? My God, second half. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's weird. Everybody coming back healthy. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not looking for a lot. Everyone coming back healthy and everyone staying healthy on both sides. I'll go. Um, personally, I'm looking for. You know, it's been a, such a long time since we've seen Mets fans this excited. Um, you know, with the ownership change, with just a, a contending ball club again. I'm looking forward to to this fan base being rewarded for some very tough times. That's that's what I'm looking forward for. Looking forward to in the second half. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel like uh, White Sox fans resonate with that a lot as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think same as Colleen, pretty much because, like, even though you know I had questions, I was like, this was supposed to be our year. But I mean, it started off from the beginning, just like constant injuries. And I'm sure we will still keep having injuries, but I don't even know what it'll be like when we have like core players back. (laughs) So I'm hoping same thing and looking forward to hopefully people staying healthy or at least, you know, when they're injured, it's not just like season ending or they're on the, we got to put Eloy in some bubble wrap. Yeah. Well, that, that packaging wrap. If we're going to yeah. put him in the field, we got to like bubble wrap him or something. DH only. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think that's what they're the saying. Only if he even thinks about running left field, somebody should just tackle him. Yeah. Like, Get him one of those no tri- toddler leashes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only Jeff McNeil can play it off those nets at Sox Park. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else just gets tangled. I, I will say too, I think more now that I've adjusted to being used to people being injured, I've really enjoyed watching. <laughs> I mean, like, 
Brian Goodwin. I know Tommy, you brought him up a long time ago, but like just watching him do well when he hadn't, I mean, he'd been doing fine, but like, you know, he, and Billy Hamilton even like, sure. Maybe it's not like comparable to some of our like star players, but they're having like some of their best baseball in their career, which is awesome to see. That's like super exciting for me. I love that. Like, I love that it's like, okay, you come here and maybe you were like kind of just a guy or like an outcast a little, and now you're like one of us. So um, I hopefully, I don't know what'll happen if they'll get uh, traded away or anything, but it's fun for now. Yeah. And I, I think that's what's warranting the comparisons to the 2005 team. Cause if you look at that roster, most of those guys you never saw or heard from again afterwards and some of them you never heard of beforehand and it was like they all had these career years that year and this year it's been much the same where you have all these role players playing out of their minds right now and the starting pitching is still phenomenal pretty much one through five so just being able to to maintain that if they can will be uh really interesting to see yeah White Sox got to find their next uh, Pesednik. What was it? Pesednik, right? Yeah. 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 Fun player. Oh, I love him. Scott? Scott Pesednik? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a... Oh, my goodness. Put myself out on a limb there. I can't believe I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we... uh, Every once in a while, he's on, like, the local um, pregame shows and stuff. And I'm like, like, man, we love him. uh, Jermaine Dye, so good for that team. Um, Loved him. Paul Canerco. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Paul Canerco. What a hitter. Yeah. I love there's always the affinity with the White Sox. It's always yeah. <laughs> Well, and I love it. I think I want to say, yeah, it was 2019 when the Mets were here. Um, someone from the team took Pete Alonso to see Paul Canerco's statue in center right. field because he's a Paul Canerco fan. And I'm like, that just warms my cold dead heart. <laughs> Have you seen their series next side by side? I gotta yep. find the video. I'll put it up on Twitter. Their swings are identical. Oh, oh yeah. are they That's really? That's so oh good. yeah, identical. That's huh. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I want to say I think Ken I think Kenny Williams called him to talk to Pete Alonso when they right. were in town. That's yeah, awesome. some I know someone. It might have been Kenny Williams. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I do know that somebody like called him to talk to Pete Alonso, and I was like, oh. how cool is that? Yeah, I was like, I love it. It's awesome. Cool. Well, Tim, thank you for coming on. Um, for anybody that has been listening, we will share the links to all of Tim's stuff in the show notes. Um, and of course, you will probably see links to follow him on Twitter. He's awesome. And Tim, thank you. And Colleen, thank you as well for joining Tommy and I. Um, sure. That way we don't just talk about depressing stuff all the time. <laughs> and we'll have to do it again when both teams face off in the World Series. I'm just throwing oh. it out right now. You know what? That would be the I'm best. Putting it down in sharp. It would be the best World Series ever. I, I wouldn't so even happy. care what happens. I would just be happy. <laughs> I would be so happy. Like, Whoever wins is wins for me. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it could, you know, at least from from a Mets fan's perspective, it couldn't be much worse than the Phillies and the Yankees in the World Series. So, yeah, oh. I think Chicago White Sox versus anybody. I think I, I would be down for that. But hopefully, it's the Sox and the Mets. And really, guys, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. All righty, Tommy. All right. We have to do our sign-off. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sign-off? Well, not really. I'll, you know, 
He has a radio voice, so I'm like, all of the formal stuff Tommy's responsible for because he's just better at it. (laughs) No. Yes, you are. Thank you for joining us on this historic episode 10. And um, yeah, we will definitely have to do this again because I I love talking Mets just as much as I like talking White Sox. So, um, and with that, we will see you all very soon. Good night.